Today on Blue 58, the Packers have an initial 53-man roster, and it looks like this roster is very much a work in progress. That is a good thing, though, and the 2023 Packers seem to have both a strong foundation and a lot of room to grow. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We have an initial 53-man roster. I think more than most years that we've done this, dating back to 2016 now, this is very clearly an initial, I don't want to say attempt at a roster, but the initial 53-man roster. This is going to be a work in progress. The Packers are going to be making moves as soon as tomorrow. We're recording this Tuesday night. We're going to release it Tuesday night just to get it out there before they start making more moves. But they're going to be making moves. This, if you haven't heard it explained, I guess, either here or on another podcast or from somebody on the Packers beat, is the initial 53 because that's how it always is. Roster building doesn't stop at 4 p.m. Eastern time on cut-down deadline day. It's really just the start. And I think it's becoming clear that in the NFL, with the way that rosters are now, there's really two aspects to putting together your football team. You have your roster building, and then you have your roster manipulation. Building the roster is getting your pool of guys from which you are going to draw your 53 and your practice squad. The manipulation part is where you put them and when you put them there. Looking at the Packers roster right now, there are some guys that are going to be hitting injured reserve very soon. Luke Tenuta is the perfect example, and the Packers need to do that for a couple of reasons. First, you've got to have them on the 53 past the roster cutdown deadline in order to put them on injured reserve so they can come back. That's what they want to do with a guy like Luke Tenuta for whatever reason. I mean, they, they want to have him available at some point this year. So they're putting him on injured reserve after the cutdown deadline. You put him before, he can't come off at all. That also gives you the opportunity to open up another roster spot by putting him on injured reserve after the 53-man deadline is finalized. So they'll put Tunuda on injured reserve, and I think it'll be Matt Horzek, the the long snapper that's going to come back. They've done this before, but it's just a reminder that though some guys are making the 53 now, there are going to be changes. It's really more like the initial 57 or something like that because you're going to have guys coming on and off as they move things around. And to that point, injuries played a big role in the construction of this this initial 53-man roster. Injuries at running back stopped us from getting a full preseason of Tyler Goodson, Lou Nichols, even, well, Patrick Taylor, Nate McCrary, I mean, they all, their their shot at the roster was changed by other guys being hurt. Emmanuel Wilson steps into a void, presumably left by guys like Lou Nichols and Tyler Goodson. Nichols and Goodson would have been competing for that third running back spot, but since they're hurt, in comes Emmanuel Wilson with a bigger opportunity than he would have otherwise, and away you go. He makes the 53-man roster. That leads me to another impression of this roster overall, and we'll talk position by position who the Packers kept and who they got rid of. The Packers seem to, more than at least last year, they seem to have defaulted to the primary jobs that guys have. 
We've heard a lot about how the Packers want special teams value from things like, well, just for an example there, their third running back. They want guys like 2021 or 2022 Patrick Taylor, guys that are going to play a lot on special teams. Well, who did they keep? At least at running back, it wasn't the guy with the primary special teams value. Tyler Goodson returned kicks for the Packers. Patrick Taylor was a key member of their punt coverage and kick coverage teams. Neither of those guys end up on the 53-man roster. It's Emmanuel Wilson, whose primary value is on offense, not so much on special teams. And that was something that we wondered about throughout training camp. I brought it up a few times here on the podcast. At what point does that value on offense being, you know, being a, a bigger deal carry a guy to the 53? Emmanuel Wilson, I think, is clearly a better clearly better with the ball in his hands than Patrick Taylor. Better things happened when Emmanuel Wilson was carrying the ball than they than when Patrick Taylor was carrying the ball. That seemed pretty clear. But the you know the the thing we've been conditioned to believe is that special teams value is going to carry the day. That did not end up being the case. At safety that was a, an issue too. Tervarius Moore was considered the odds-on favorite just because what he did on special teams. Innes Gaines was a longtime special teamer there too, yet Moore ends up on injured reserve, which means he's done for the year, and Innes Gaines is out of a job for right now. It wasn't necessarily the primary consideration. Now, you do have other guys at safety who do play special teams. Dallin Levitt, of course, is there. Uh, Anthony Johnson, I'm assuming, is going to get a lot of reps on special teams, and Rudy Ford, of course, was signed last year primarily as a special teams contributor. But it does seem like the Packers have counted on guys doing their primary jobs first before special teams. That surprised me a little bit, but I think that is a pleasant surprise. Basically, all of the surprises the Packers made, other than maybe Austin Allen, who we'll talk about when we get to tight ends here, basically every other surprise was was enjoyable because it looked like the Packers were breaking tendency. They defaulted to youth in a lot of situations where they haven't necessarily before, at least in the past couple of years. They've defaulted to getting guys on the 53 who, for being good at their primary jobs, like we talked about. And they've just done some different things approach-wise. The biggest surprise of the the last couple of days was Pat O'Donnell being released. I predicted that O'Donnell would make the roster just because of the kind of punters the Packers have tried to to get over the past few years. They've really f- seemed to miss the guy who could be really accurate, and that's what O'Donnell was last year more than a big leg. Had some consistency issues down the stretch as things got cold. But in the battle between Daniel Whelan and Pat O'Donnell, they went with the guy whose primary asset is just having a real big leg. That was something different, I think, than what we've seen from the Packers, at least under Rich Bisaccia, not so much anymore. And if you look at the longer scope of what the Packers have been trying to do, basically in the Gutekunst era, J.K. Scott, Corey Bohorquez, and now Daniel Whelan, yeah, they have tried to go more with the big leg guy, but O'Donnell looked like a change in approach last year, and I'm pleasantly surprised to see them go with that, I think, is a, a better approach at punter. But let's go position by position here. Just talk through what the Packers have on the roster, what move, what moves they made. Let's talk through it. Jordan Love and Sean Clifford are your quarterbacks. The least surprising position and one that I assume that just about everybody got right. Alex Magoo is out for now. 
The only question there is if he comes back on the practice squad, what number does he wear? Because Anders Carlson is wearing number 17. Magoo wore 17 in the preseason. What number does he end up wearing? At running back, the Packers keep three. Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, and Emmanuel Wilson. Lou Nichols was waived with an injury designation, as was Tyler Goodson, means, which means that they will pass through uh, waivers, and if they're unclaimed, they will revert to the Packers into reserve, which probably for both of those guys is a good thing in the long run. Packers outright released Patrick Taylor and Nate McCrary. McCrary, not so much of a surprise. Patrick Taylor, that probably brings his time in Green Bay to an end, at least for right now. Uh, they probably will look to get him back on on the practice squad. I I would imagine, but it also wouldn't be surprised me if they went in a completely different direction, just tried to bring somebody, you know, maybe get a, just change things up, have a, have a different look on the practice squad as well. At wide receiver, basically, I think as expected at this point, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Samori Ture, Dontavian Wicks, and Malik Heath. It sounds like Wicks could be headed for injured reserve, possibly with a hamstring issue, kind of dogged him throughout training camp, but for right now, he's on the 53-man roster. Malik Heath, a great story, making it to the 53. Honestly, not any huge surprises uh, of the from this group. Um, among the guys released, Bo Melton, a intriguing prospect, but never really fell into a role with the Packers. Grant DeBose had a shoulder injury all throughout training camp. You'd have to imagine the Packers would like to have him back on the practice squad just because they spent a draft pick on him, they seem to like him. And of the guys released, he is clearly, I think, a cut above the rest in terms of you know, athleticism, size, uh, potential utility on the team. He just seems to have a clear path to the roster that the other guys really can't seem to match at this point. Tight end slash fullback. Two, one bigger surprise, one mild surprise here. The Packers end up keeping Luke Musgrave, Tucker Graft, and Josiah DeGuara. No surprises really in who they kept, but they only go with three between tight end and fullback because fullback is a thing in the Packers offense here now. And the guys that they released both had pretty significant, I think pretty pretty noteworthy paths to the roster. Henry Pearson was a, a pretty consistent special teams performer during the preseason, and he was getting some work with the Packers' number one offense at times this training camp. Austin Allen, meanwhile is the third of the three actual tight ends and does seem to have some upside as a traditional, I guess you'd say a Y tight end. The hand on the ground, end of the line, you know, traditional tight end, in addition to being a regular contributor on special teams. But this is, I think, where the roster manipulation aspect of, you know, this roster process, this program building comes in. Because I think they'll probably do with Austin Allen what we've seen them do in the past with guys like Patrick Taylor. Allen will be on the practice squad. They'll move him up, move him down as and when they need him in the regular season. And ultimately, if they, you know, when they exhaust those elevations, they'll decide at that point if they want to put him on the 53-man roster. And by that point, things will have changed elsewhere on the roster. There may be an opportunity for him to get to the 53 at that point. But I would be surprised if he is not on the practice squad. The offensive line, I think, is fairly interesting. We'll just read it in the order that they presented at Packers.com. Zach Tom, Rashid Walker, David Bakhtiari, Royce Newman, Josh Myers, Caleb Jones, Yash Nyman, Elton Jenkins, Sean Ryan, John Runyon, and Luke Tenuta. Tenuta is headed to injured reserve, so the Packers are already down to 10 linemen there. Uh, Caleb Jones uh, is 
I, I'm happy to see him make the 53-man roster, keeping another big tackle prospect there. He's probably the guy in the most danger when and if Luke Tenuta does come off of injured reserve. Outside of that, I would say not really any surprises here other than the Packers really only carrying one true center or one guy with primary responsibilities at center on the 53. If Myers falters at all and they want to go in a different direction at center, it's going to mean a lot of reshuffling around the rest of their offensive line. Interestingly, Yash Nyman is on the 53-man roster. There was some thought that he could end up getting traded, which I think that I probably would have done. Here's my reasoning there. The Packers have a lot of tackles that they like. They've got a lot of guys that can play tackle. And the Packers are probably going to be going in a different direction with two of their noteworthy tackles next year. David Bakhtiari's cap situation next year is almost certainly going to send him out of town after this season, if not before. If the Packers would look to make a deadline move this year, David Bakhtiari looks like the guy. Yash Nyman, too, is a free agent after this year. And looking at the Packers' cap situation, it seems likely that they are going to be spending some money next spring. That's noteworthy because if Yash leaves town, he'll be going on a free agent deal, obviously, but that's when the compensatory pick situation comes into play. If he signs for a deal and the Packers make a comparable deal with an outside free agent coming to their team, it's probably going to wipe out any sort of compensatory pick that you would get for Yash Nyman in 2025. So if he's not part of your long-term plans and the Packers aren't really looking at 2023 as a situation where they're probably going to contend anyway. And Nyman is not one of your top two tackles right now, maybe not one of your top three tackles, considering what they've been doing with Rashid Walker. It might make sense to try to trade him. You're getting something instead of nothing, and you're turning an asset that you're not using into something. I think there's a strong case to be made there. Other than that, not really any surprises among their their offensive linemen. They do keep 11 for right now. It's not going to stay at 11. On defense, the defensive line is basically as we expected. You've got Kenny Clark, you've got Devontae Wyatt, you've got TJ Slayton, Colby Wooden, Carl Brooks, and Jonathan Ford. Those were the six. They kept six. The only guy that sticks out, you know, that didn't make the 53 Chris Slayton, who stuck around all of last year on the practice squad. I wonder if he's going to end up there again. Also feel like we should mention Jason Lewin, uh, who was one of the undrafted free agent prospects who was thought to have some kind of chance at making the roster. A good athlete, good size, almost a clone of Dean Lowry physically. I don't think we've mentioned him one time since we did our undrafted free agent roundup. There was no sort of apparent shot that he had at making the roster at any point throughout training camp. Just never really made any noise this year. It'll be interesting to see if they they bring him back, but I would have to think a bigger-bodied guy is probably going to be in the works here. I still think it's probable that if the Packers want to go outside the organization anywhere, it's probably at defensive line. But, shoot, I wrote this week and did a roster, you know, 53-man roster projection for thepowersweep.com this week. You talk about bringing in guys from the outside. I wrote, if the if the Packers find an athlete with some upside available on the defensive line, they would probably bring him in and see maybe even 
swap them in for Jonathan Ford, but that's also like saying, you know, if I saw a $20 bill on the sidewalk, I'd pick it up. The reason that you keep somebody like Jonathan Ford is because you've invested time into him and you think he has upside and guys that have his size with any kind of athletic upsides are, are just rare. You don't find a lot of guys like that just available. That's why you draft him to begin with. That's why you keep him around. And if there was another guy like that around, shoot, yeah, of course you would bring him in, but they are just so few and far between. So the Packers stick with their top six guys there. Not really any surprise. We do have a mild surprise at edge rusher, outside linebacker. The Packers keep six there, the sixth of whom is Brenton Cox Jr., identified by many as one of their likely contenders among the among the undrafted free agent crop this year, and wouldn't you know it, he ends up making the 53-man roster. The big question here is whether or not he's going to end up playing special teams or if he's going to be a functional red shirt like the Packers did last year with Rasheed Walker, with Caleb Jones, with Jonathan Ford. Are you just going to let him get his feet under him for a year and not really worry about actually playing him on Sundays? Because edge rusher is a valuable position. If you think he has upside, he may still be worth keeping around. But if he doesn't play special teams, there isn't really anything he can do right now because look at the depth chart ahead of him. Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, J.J. Anigbari, Lucas Van Ness, and even Justin Hollins. It's a pretty solid five edge rushers. You don't really have a lot of reps going around there. Now guys are going to get hurt, of course, but it doesn't seem like there's a clear path to Brenton Cox being a contributor on defense. So if he's not going to contribute on special teams, that might end up being a redshirt year like we saw with some guys in the relatively recent past. Inside linebacker, no real big surprises. Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, Isaiah McDuffie, Tariq Carpenter, and pleasantly surprised to see special teams ace Eric Wilson make it. Of the three non-Campbell or Walker linebackers, Wilson might actually have the most upside as an actual defensive player. He did some pretty decent things with the Minnesota Vikings a few years back. Even if he's not a great defender, I still think he's probably got more juice as a defensive player at this point than either Isaiah McDuffie or Tariq Carpenter. I just, I don't think McDuffie is much of a, of a defender and Carpenter is very much figuring out a new position still. Wilson probably could get you by in half a game if he had to. Even so, it seems like a pretty solid linebacker room. Happy to see Eric Wilson making it. Cornerback. Surprise here is that the Packers only kept four, though I think you can probably get away with four because you're going to be having safeties doing cornerback type things, playing in the slot, etc. So therefore, Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas, Keyshawn Nixon, and Carrington Valentine. Corey Valentine is the the surprising cut here to me. I thought he was he had a path to the roster as a special teamer. Shamar John Charles gets it. Not a big surprise here. I was especially surprised to see the Milwaukee Journal Sentinels Tom Silverstein call him a a talented special teams player and a versatile player in the secondary. Technically true in some respects in that he can theoretically do multiple things on defense. He just hasn't really shown it. And the Packers haven't really had a reason for him to get an opportunity to do anything on special teams or on on defense at all. Small, a little bit uh, under-athletic. I don't want to say unathletic because he is a professional athlete, but relative to his peers, not an overwhelming athlete. I think the Packers just think they can do better. And I think there are guys that, that can do better in that locker room right now. Eric Stokes is on the physically unable to perform list. Not a surprise really to anybody. It's, it's probably going to be a while before he is back. 
which means that guys like Harrington Valentine are going to get some serious opportunities in the meantime. I would keep my eye on Keandre Thomas as a practice squad signing. I would expect that he is going to get a look as a special teams player. Seems to be one of their core holdup guys on punt return at this point. Just to just keep his name in the back of your mind. At safety, the Packers keep six. Uh, Packers keep five. Excuse me. Looking at Dallin Levitt's jersey number there. Uh, they're they're five guys: Darnell Savage, Jonathan Owens, Rudy Ford, Dallin Levitt, and Anthony Johnson Jr. Tavarius Moore goes to injured reserve. Innis Gaines likely ends his times with the Packers. I don't think any big surprises here. Pleasantly surprised to see Anthony Johnson make it. If anybody, I think, from the draft class was going to get left out or, or sent to the practice squad, dating back to when you know we saw this this roster or the, this draft class come together in the spring, he looked like a guy who might need some time, considering he's, I guess, technically still in the midst of a position switch. He's figuring out how to move from being a cornerback to a safety, and that takes some time. Still, I think you like the size. I think you like the athleticism. Maybe Rich Bisaccia teaches him to play special teams and he just becomes a dog there. You never know. But I think if you're looking for guys with upside in this group, Johnson might be the guy by default just because he's played this he's played safety the least among the guys that are in this room. If anybody is going to have room to grow, it might be him. Now the specialists. Anders Carlson makes it for right now. I think how the Packers talked about him that ended up not being all that much of a surprise, and there just isn't that much out there available at kicker unless you want to go with Mason Crosby and Crosby's phone should be ringing from somewhere in the league right now. If I'm Mason Crosby, I'm looking for an indoor team where I'm going to be kicking in climate controlled conditions most of the time. Make a couple million dollars. There's only so many years you can make a million dollars at a time playing football or or doing pretty much anything. You might as well strike while the iron is hot. Another three years, he's not going to be getting those phone calls. It would be interesting to see what would happen if the Packers decided that Carlson isn't getting the job done. Crosby's almost got to get the job by default. I wonder if that bridge is burned at all. But it doesn't look like that is super likely at this point. So Carlson wins it. Daniel Whelan wins it. And the Packers don't technically have a long snapper right now. But Matt Orzik is apparently on his way back to the Packers as of tomorrow. We will see what happens. I know it's kind of a gentleman's agreement around the league in, in a lot of circumstances like this that you don't claim a guy like that. It would be kind of funny if there was a team that thought anything of him. If they really just wanted to mess with the Packers, you could put in a waiver claim and the Packers just are out of luck. But in any case, um, we'll see what happens. The Packers have some work to do, but we've got an initial 53-man roster. I'm pretty happy with what the Packers have. And to kind of put a bow on what I said in the intro, it seems like they do have a pretty solid foundation here. You start looking position by position, they've got an established core just about everywhere you look. Talk through the roster with me again. Quarterback, Jordan Love. Running back, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. Wide receiver, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. Tight end, okay, a work in progress. But offensive line, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, even if you don't think he's a great player, at least Josh uh, Josh Myers has been here a while, same for John Runyon, and a plethora of options on the right right side. Defensive line, Kenny Clark is a star. Uh, Outside linebacker, Rashawn Gary is a star. Preston Smith is a solid sidekick there, and they've got guys coming up behind him. 
Inside linebacker, Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, a solid core. Cornerback, Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas, a solid core. Almost every position has those core guys, but they also have room to improve. A lot of these positions, even when they have some strong core players, they've got other guys coming up behind them. Lucas Van Ness, the entire tight end room, Jaden Reed. You can find guys at, at about every position where the Packers can grow and get better over the course of the season. We'll talk about expectations for the team as a whole either later this week or early next week, but by and large, I think there's a lot to like about the 2023 Packers. How it all comes together is going to be a mystery. It certainly is right now. But it's going to be an interesting work in progress. I think the Packers are clearly building towards something, whether it's 2024 or 2025, and you can see the pieces that are in place right now are laying what seems to be a solid foundation. And I think if it doesn't give you hope for 2023, you can at least see that there is a plan in place. You could quibble with how that plan came together. That's water under the bridge at this point. The Packers are enacting that plan now, and it looks like they're, they've got some interesting pieces in place that are going to get a real chance to grow this year, and I think that's really reflected in their initial 53-man roster. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. That is the number one way Blue 58 grows. Your word of mouth gets more people to tune in each and every episode, which gets more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which helps all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.